great to be here again. Um, if you're new with us, uh, please turn to, in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, 837. I will be preaching from Mark chapter 2, verse 18. So the page number is 837, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Amen. Now, while I was in seminary, um, I remember taking a New Testament class with Dr. Cook. And during the Q&A, one of the fellow students asked the teacher, Professor, when we go to heaven, will we all enjoy heaven the same way? And the way he responded was, was this. He said, straightforward, no. Some people will enjoy heaven to a greater capacity. And he explained it like this. He says, he goes to the Cardinal games. Louisville Cardinal is a college team. He loves college football. And so does his wife. So whenever they go, he says, my wife really enjoys Louisville Cardinals. But I enjoy it far more greater than her because I have far more invested my life into this team. It doesn't take away any from her enjoyment, but he has a greater capacity to enjoy it because he just, he's that much more invested into it. Um, now, I want to I talk about today, how is it that we can grow in our capacity to enjoy heaven more? And the very simple answer is this, through fasting. I want to share a story with you guys. And it's going to explain that, um, you know how I mentioned earlier that I was willing to eat that, that whatever mess I made right there with the kids, um, I was willing to eat whatever that tomato uh, ketchup concoction was. Um, so I was on this trip called Boundary Waters with a church in Chicago, uh, and a group of us, 30 of us, we went on um, a trip to Minnesota. It's in the middle of nowhere, and what we do is we hire a professional guide, and they take us from island to island on a canoe. And there are days when we're, we're a canoeing for 20 miles in one day. And the trouble with this is that we have to uh, carry the canoe on our shoulders when we portage from one island to another body of water, right? So you can imagine um, like walking two football fields at a time with the canoe some of us had to carry the food and the tents, 50-pound bags each. This lasted a whole week. Now, the amount of food that we prepared, or the guide prepared, was we had enough food uh, to fit inside a, a cup, one cup of food per meal, three meals a day. Now, I, I'm not a typical person. I need a lot of food. I need a lot of calories. So as you can imagine, by day two, I was starving. And we're just day two, right? And um, 
I remember, this, this is how bad it got, and this is, I'm, I'm being very vulnerable with you guys, so don't judge. Um, I remember on, one, on day two or three, I, I, we, we were taken to a field of wild blueberries. So this guy told, told us, these are safe to eat. Uh, there's no pesticide. You could eat, eat as much as you want. And we spent like a half an hour here on this path. And I, I went somehow and on my own, and I was just like, ooh, these are, you know, I'm just eating these blueberries. And I come back maybe like 15 minutes later after I'm like stuffed, and, and I noticed that in my team, all the high school girls, they were, they were picking the blueberries for the whole group. And I'm just standing there with like blueberry all over my mouth, <laughs> um, feeling, oh, okay, I, I did not get the memo. Uh, my gosh, I look so selfish in this situation. And I could feel like the whole group judging me, like, you're supposed to be our spiritual leader. Where did you go? Um, but now, this is, a, this is just the beginning of a decline. So, okay, so we were, um, because this organization was a Christian organization, um, one of the days on, like, day four, we had a spiritual fasting day, right? That's the last thing I would have wanted on this trip. And we were taking, um, we were all to spread apart, have an hour's worth of quiet time while skipping lunch. You know how hard it is to have quiet time with the Lord when your stomach is trying to kill you and say, like, you need food right now. And I, I got to a point where I could not concentrate, even for five minutes, on Scripture or the Lord. And this is where I was getting to a point where my calorie count, my need for more calories, it was declining by the moment. So on the last, uh, on the last night, um, all we had was this like gelatin type of shake. And there was only enough for everyone except for the guide. Um, she, and she was younger than me, right? And she was very selfless. She gave, she gave it to everyone else except for herself. And I was thinking, oh no, like she doesn't have any. This is so sad that I'm not going to share any of mine. So I drank the whole thing, and, um, and that was my lowest point because, you know, as a guy and as someone who's older, and especially in the Korean tradition, it's supposed to be like, oh, you first, but none of that. Um, and so on the last day, when, when the whole trip was over, we went into a restaurant, regular burger restaurant. I ordered a regular hamburger, right? You will not believe. I felt like this heaven just, this burger just like descended from heaven and like audibly, almost as if I could hear like, this is my burger with which I am well pleased. Like I, it w and then when I took a bite into it, um, I did not realize that food or a hamburger had the capacity to satisfy you until that moment. And what I mean is this, um, Nothing about this burger was unique. There's no molecular structure that changed to have me desire it more. But what happened was because of my extreme starvation throughout the week, I was able to realize the true, the true value of that burger, the ability for that burger to truly satisfy me. After I was finished with that, I was like, I need nothing else in life. I'm ready to die. That's how satisfied I was. Now, the Bible tells us that there's a spiritual sense of having that type of satisfaction. So I'm just going to quickly go over like the whole overview of the Bible. 
Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2 when God created the whole world? But on the seventh day, he rested. You ever wonder what that, that's all about? Because God's all-powerful. I mean, does he get tired? No, 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 no. What the Bible means by that is God created everything in each day, and he was well-pleased. On the seventh day, he was able to take a step back and realize, hey, there's nothing else that needs to be done. Everything that needs to be done is done. I don't have to worry about anything. It's not like someone could come into the picture and be like, uh, God, you could have made that better and made that better. You could have made this better. He was outside of all of that. He knows that this is ultimate rest, not having to worry about anything more that needs to be done. Now, for you and I, this is a very foreign concept, right? Because even when you go on a vacation, you're worried about, like, you know, did I leave the oven on? Uh, did, did I pay that bill? Um, you, it's hard for us to know, even have a category of what does it mean to have that kind of rest? Even right now, as you're sitting, you're thinking about something. Maybe you're going through a financial issue, health issue. You have a wayward children. Um, you, there's so a host of so many things that's preventing you from having this rest. But the story begins with this. The story begins with God having this rest and extending it to all of mankind. And what happens next? God creates mankind, right? And in the garden, um, he creates Adam and Eve. And, you know, for the longest time, I've always thought, like, this is a trap. I mean, why would you put a, a tree that they're not able to eat from that's like, eat, that's like putting a cookie in the front and telling a child not to eat it? If they eat it, then they're going to get punished for it. It just sounds mean, right? But this is what it really means. God put the forbidden fruit in the garden as a gift to mankind. How so? Because it's, we have a special category of extend, ex, extending our love by saying you are enough. Example, like a husband telling his wife, I don't need other women, you are enough. Okay? Saying, um, you don't need to have great food at your party. I want your company. You are enough. Same way, humanity could have said, God, I don't need that fruit. You gave me so much in this garden. And also, you are enough. It was an opportunity that God gave humanity. So here we begin with, God has his rest. He wants to extend that to us. We have even more grace in the garden. He wants to give us, grow us in our capacity to enjoy him more. But then mankind, they fall. Why? Because of appetite, right? And now we're kicked out of the garden. And then quickly in Genesis 3.15, that's the first gospel message that from the seed of the woman will come a child, a savior, who will deliver them from the serpent. So the whole Old Testament, we're just kind of like in suspense. Like we're told that we could return to this, that there will be a savior, that we could return to the glory days, but, you know, if, if you read through Genesis, you have nothing but, like, um, the messed up family, the nuclear family is just dissolved, and just, like, a lot of chaos, and then you keep reading, and you have, like, slavery, and this nation is always under someone else's control. You're just waiting and waiting, and God calls the Israelites to say, hey, in these moments when you're held captive, I still want you to hold strong, and they were still called to fast, fast towards the Lord and say, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Because honestly, there are things in life that's way more important, way, way, way more important than food or material things. They're here today, gone tomorrow. People are not. And so this situation, we're talking about thousands of years of just like waiting on the Lord. And finally, we get to a point where in Mark chapter 2, there's a group of people, right? They're, they're looking at John's disciples. They're looking at the Pharisees' disciples. From their perspective, this is such a legitimate question. They're asking, why is it that you people don't take this situation seriously enough? I mean, we're in a pretty bad situation. It's not just that we're in a captivity by the Romans, but we're living in a, a world of uncertainty. Any one of us could just die, right? There's, there's no certainty whatsoever. We're living in anxiety and on the hinges. Why will you not fast and take this situation seriously? Why, Jesus? Why? Very, very legitimate question. In fact, if you were in this group, you would say, yes, this is a very good question. Why are you not taking this seriously? And so Jesus responds to this, right? Jesus responds by saying, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Do you know what his response means? First of all, why, why a wedding picture? This is a, it just seems so random, right? Uh, this ran, I say random because from the fasting standpoint, it was very a solemn, somber, sad type of uh, uh, a discipline. But Jesus all of a sudden talked about a joyous occasion. Like, what could be better than a wedding? At a wedding, everything changes. Uh, you know, I, I have a father who, who's, who normally does not cry. He's not a sentimental guy. I have seen him cry, ball over my sister getting married last year. Uh, something about weddings. Um, weddings mean it's a new chapter in life. Everything's going to be different. It's going to be good. It's two become one. It's a, a joyous occasion. Jesus is saying, this is going to be a joyous occasion. While I am here, this is to be celebrated. To be celebrated? Why? Now think about it like this. Um, you have all of history prior to Jesus coming, and after Jesus is taken away, you're going to have this time period where, where we're still waiting for his return. Um, in that time period, we're, we're longing and we're waiting. Now I'm going to introduce, you, uh, introduce a, it's a theological term called already but not yet. Already but not yet. And the reason why we call it already but not yet is because already we know for a fact that because Jesus died on the cross on our behalf, our future with him is secure the basic tenets of Christianity. It's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done. So already, the thing that needed to be done is done, but not yet. The whole world has not consummated to his, the ultimate reality when he will return. But already it happens. And that already part, Jesus knew. Jesus knew at his presence, History is going to change. 
What do I mean by that? You, you know, if you live long enough, you, you're going to have these moments. You're going to have these moments where you feel like, I felt like my time was cut short with so-and-so. The kids will grow up, they'll go to college like this, right? Overnight, you might have a loved one leave town for another job. You might have someone die unexpectedly. And you're going to have all these, all these thoughts. Man, this, I feel like it was, there wasn't enough time. Or maybe perhaps you have, you know, human beings, we're so complicated. We, some of us, we grow up, we're, you're called stupid when you're in second grade, and your whole life you're trying to prove them wrong by, you know, amassing enough educations and degrees. You're called, like, poor in fifth grade, and your whole, whole life you're trying to, you know, amass uh, money. Or, you know, if, if you hear just one time, you could be called beautiful 5,000 times, you could be called ugly one time, your whole life you're going to be self-conscious, and you're going to be looking for ways to make yourself more attractive. Those desires, um, and we're, we're so prone to gravitate towards that. And, and we say, God, why, why my life, right? Only if there was another life where this could be redeemed. And that's what we're talking about today. All of that is redeemed. All your losses are redeemed. And Jesus knew that ahead of time. Very interesting words, he says. When the, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Jesus knew. And this is not, he, he knew what will unfold. No one else did at the time. In hindsight, everything makes sense. Of course, he's able to predict this. He's able to predict that the only way for all of humanity to be restored, the one way, is for him to go to the cross. He acknowledges it. He accepts it. And he says this, then they will fast in that day. And if you, talk, if you look in other verses of the New Testament, um, in Matthew 6, 16, it, it's not if you fast, but when you fast. And historically, Christians are called to make fasting a regular practice. A regular practice. Um, let me quote John Wesley. Um, he once said, he will refuse to ordain anyone in the Methodist ministry who did not fast twice a week. That may sound legalistic, but from my perspective, I think he's on to something here. Cornelius Platinga Jr. will say, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude, and self-discipline usually its friend and generator. That is why gluttony is a deadly sin, the early desert fathers believed that a person's appetite are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. Did you get that last part? They spoil the appetite for God. There's a lot of things. I, I tell you, um, fasting revealed a lot about my own heart, especially with this story I shared with you. I had no idea I was that selfish. Um, but when we get to a point where we're longing for food more than anything else, we can pray to God, Lord, 
help me to desire you even greater than the way I desire this food right now. There's a spiritual link there. And, and as we pray that, uh, we're saying, Lord, as you change my heart to long for the things that you long for, we finally see things around us, such as um, having the capacity to extend grace like we've never extended grace before. I want to share this one last example. Um, when, I was, when I was in college, this was uh, oh, already like 14 years ago, um, my parents gave me um, about $72,000 to invest in the stock market because I told them, like, you know, this is really easy. Uh, we've already made so much money so far. And, and they gave me the money, and, and things were going well for a while. And then one night, one night, the stock crashed. Uh, it was during like 2003 or something like that. And oh, it went back a bit, up again. But I, I sold everything off. And overnight, I lost about uh, $15,000 in one night. My heart just dropped. And I didn't know what, what to say to my parents. This is a lot of money. Uh, and I remember downstairs, I was... Um, my dad was reading a newspaper, and I think he was able to figure stuff out because you, you have on the newspaper, like all the stock market crashing. It, he just said to me, um, we probably lost a lot of money, huh? And I said, yes. And he didn't even ask how much. He was like, well, you win some, you lose some. And that was it. That was it. No, there, there, it wasn't like, you know, those like, type of angries where you just, you just don't say anything and you, you plan to kill me later on, that kind of angry. It was like, legitimately, legitimately, he was like, you're, more, you're my son. You're more important to me than any amount of money. Your feelings are worth more to me than any amount of money. And you can imagine how much that changed me as a person. Now, when God is calling us to fast, He's calling us to have those type of moments where we can grow in our spirituality and understand how much we really have in the Lord, how much we have really inherited so that we may extend grace to other people. Let's pray. Father, it's true that it's hard for us, very difficult for us to realize how much we've really inherited in you. Uh, you you secure our future, you secure our hearts. But right now you're asking us uh, with a simple step in faith to fast for the purpose of growing to understand our desire for you more. Uh, Lord, we pray for our church to enlarge our capacity uh, to, to have more grace, to, to love people more, to understand heaven more. And Lord, we wait for your return. We cannot wait for that day. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please remember.